Monday is for makers. Welcome to your New Mexico government. I'm your host, Kaliole Colota. Today, we talk to people who have taken it into their own hands to make the scarce personal protection equipment that hospitals and organizations are in desperate need of. Local people who have switched up the operation of their businesses to meet the needs of a country in crisis. Talk about rolling up your sleeves and getting to work. These folks are doing it. More on that later. But first up, executive producer Marisa DeMarco has a news rundown of what we know today, Monday, April 20th, as of 5 p.m. A few states in the South are starting to reopen businesses, like Georgia and Tennessee. But the New York Times is reporting that scientists and public health experts are warning that since outbreaks are still popping up, and since there hasn't been enough testing to quickly spot and contain new ones, it's too early. A prison in Ohio just became the biggest source of virus infections in the country, according to a Times database. A little over 1,800 inmates, fully three-quarters of the prison population, tested positive in the Marion medium and minimum security lockup. For context, that's just a little less than the total number of people known to have the virus in the state of New Mexico. The relief loan fund for small businesses dried up last week, and Congress and the Trump administration are trying to add $450 billion back into that fund. Before it ran out, national hotel and restaurant chains got millions of it, while many traditional small businesses weren't able to access the fund, according to the Washington Post. There's been a lot of criticism and complaints about how the money was allocated, so one big New York-based chain, Shake Shack, gave back $10 million it got from the fund. We're getting into the impacts here locally on this show tomorrow. For several hours today, the state's Department of Workforce Solutions website went down, but it was back up by 5 p.m., according to KOB. The number of confirmed COVID-19 cases in the state is closing in on 2,000. Many of the new cases today were in McKinley and San Juan counties, according to the Albuquerque Journal, which overlap with parts of the Navajo Nation. And there were three more deaths today, making the total 58. Small business owners, maybe about 20 of them, reports the Santa Fe New Mexican, circled the roundhouse by car today to demand that the state reopen. For your New Mexico government, I'm Marisa DeMarco. To find out more about what local companies are doing to shift gears and to help out in the effort against COVID-19, I'm on the line with Adam Iceman. He is a co-owner of Five Ton Monkey here in town. Adam, how's it going? It's going okay. How are you, Khalil? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing Good. well. So tell me, what is Five Ton Monkey currently making? Um, so we are making protective face shields that are going to first responders and test administrators for the state of New Mexico. Are you guys having any challenges with that? Oh, boy. Um, well, so our, our first line of work, our, our day job is um, we're a prop shop for the movies. Um, you know, we make things out of wood and foam and, and metal, and we do resin casting and, and mold making and design and all kinds of other things that are nothing like this. When people started getting sick, we started thinking about what we could do to be useful in all of this. And Kirk suggested that, you know, we might be able to come up with a good way to, to do face shields. And so we started prototyping, you know, different ideas, different plastics that we use anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, tried a number of things, you know, a number that didn't work so well, some that were much too hefty for the, for the situation, more like 
the things you'd wear to not be hit by, you know, like flying gravel or metal gotcha. or something, you know, but we kept developing forward. We came up with a few different ideas, each one simpler and lighter and better than the last. And, um, as I was developing prototypes, Kirk was reaching out, you know, in all directions for people who might, you know, be able to use what we're making. And he somehow found his way to the state, to the governor's office. Their initial ask was, was for something much larger than we felt comfortable saying that we could do because, you know, we're inventing a little pop-up factory. We, um, at that point, didn't, you know, didn't have any kind of funding and we had friends contributing money and we, you know, zeroed out our credit cards. And, and so we had enough put together um, to suggest to the state that we could do a small order, which was 5,500 uh, okay. face shields at the time. And even that for us, I mean, this is not what we do. You know, it was scary. Yeah. We hired on what we call them the kids because they're younger than we are. They're okay. all in their mid-20s. Gotcha. Uh, you know, some friends and, and friends of friends um, who could work our production lines. And, and Kirk and I and another friend, Michael Mosho, who's a very, very, very good uh, technician, craftsmaker, craftsman and artist. Um, the three of us designed our, you know, our whole workstation scenario. And, and then the kids got on the machines. And we made 5,500 face shields in eight days. Wow. And um, it was crazy. It was really fun. And everyone was all in. You know, everyone tried really hard. And everyone felt the same way about it. You know, the conversation we had was, I mean, you know, this is, I don't know. It's 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 like the, it, it's the most important. It, it might be the most important thing we ever do. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so, man. You all are making it happen. Now, get back. <laughs> I, want, I want to go back to something. You were talking about how it made everyone feel from you and your partners to the kids who came in yeah, to work on that. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. So, you know, in a way, I mean, everything is turning upside down right in front of us and we're in the middle of it mm -hmm. and we have this, you know, this crazy opportunity to say, what do we want to do? Mm -hmm. You know, what do you want to do? Who do you want to be and all that? And, and, and it was cool because everyone was of the same mind. You know, we want to do something constructive. You know, we're not going to like solve world hunger, but we're going to do this little thing that, that has an impact and helps people. And yeah. now's the time that we kind of evolve in how we act as humans towards each other and ourselves. And yes, what you all are doing at Five Ton Monkey is definitely an example in that. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for being oh. on the show and thank you for the work that you're doing, my friend. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you for listening yes. and for hearing it. Of course. Of course. Woo. Adam Iceman with Five Ton Monkey making the materials that we need. My next guest is Dave Mayberry. He's a product developer for Marpac. Dave, how's it going? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well, my friend. I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. So tell me, what does Marpac do? So we're in business about 25 years. We're a class one FDA approved medical manufacturer. We make products for use with patients, primarily with respiratory illnesses. So I would say that what you develop is in high demand these days. Our business has had a massive spike because of the COVID-19 pandemic right now. Tell me a little bit about that. Are you all suffering supply shortages at all? <laughs> Very much so. So we, we stay almost daily in touch with various vendors across the country. Oftentimes we get just a pallet at a time where historically we would get five or six pallets of raw goods. Mm. Definitely a day-to-day -day basis. We we have kind of a status check every morning and make sure we're still in line with our production expectations and needs for that day. Yeah. And if not, we're pretty quick and pretty nimble to try to make changes for those products we do have available in the building. Obviously, I'm sure you guys were busy before this started, and now it's probably straight down to outright chaos that happens. <laughs> Tell me about like the operations on a daily basis, how they differ now than maybe two months ago. 
So it, it probably starts with, uh, we sometimes have to report some sad news to our customers when they call in looking for product. We're getting caught up a little bit more now, but we certainly had to start issuing some delays of shipment. We used to ship within 24 hours of an order. Mm-hmm. Um, we always had plenty of stock on the shelf. For a few weeks, we had to start putting some delays in place. Again, our, our vendors have been very helpful in trying to keep us abreast of situations. Our staff has been exceptional. We used to work our production staff for 10-hour days, Monday through Thursday. We've started adding Fridays as optional, Saturdays also optional. The staff has been just supportive in, in every everything we've ever asked of them. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as the management team, we're trying our best to keep product in front of them so they can put in the assembly steps and get finished product ready to go and ship out the door to customers nationwide. Yeah. So you guys have kicked into extra high gear. Can I ask you, you know, there's been talk of states having to basically outbid each other for materials because we are in that much of an extreme shortage. Are you finding... One client may ask for a certain number of a particular form of equipment, and yet you have another client who's asking for a similar number, and you're forced to make decisions. How do you all handle that? That is probably one of the more challenging things we face here in that we do have some large international customers, and typically when they order, logistically, they want to place as large order as they can, mm-hmm. um, just to kind of minimize the paperwork and transactional processes. Oftentimes, we'll, we'll partial ship to multiple customers, trying to at least take care of immediate needs for customers and hoping that we can resupply them in fulfilling their back orders before that need gets to a crisis situation for each respective client. Mm-hmm. How often has that come up? More than we'd like to, but I think we've kept most of our customers really stocked where there's, it's not a crisis situation. Occasionally something will come up and, and we're, we're clearly next day air ordering or shipping some items out for particular orders for folks that got caught shorthanded if they get overwhelmed or whatever the case I think we're doing well enough, and no one's been too excited on the phone and gotten angry with it, so we're very happy about that. Okay, that's good to hear. Uh, have people locally from the city or the state, have they contacted you about help? They have. So my boss, Jeff McCauley, the president here of MARPAC, he has interacted with some folks at the governor's office. We have been contacted by some of the local hospitals early on based on a recent open house that we had here at MARPAC. Later then, we were approached by the CEO of Loveless Medical Centers, specifically about the possibility of making PPE as he recognized the shortage that's likely going to come up for everyone. Mm-hmm. And he was specifically interested in looking at gowns, surgical masks, and N95 respirators and asked, you know, what could we do with that? Either fortunately, um, a, a few of us had already started kind of discussing the possibility of making a NIOSH-approved N95 respirator being very different from just a standard surgical mask. Okay. But again, as I said earlier, we're, we're just a Class 1 FDA facility, and the research showed that you needed to have a Class 2 certification to actually make those and legally put a NIOSH approval stamp on it. Gotcha. So with that, MARPAC, again, we've been, we've been asked repeatedly, what can we do to help with that? So we're kind of taking the approach that if we can make an N95-like respirator with the only standard being the same or a better filtration level, so keeping the virus away from the user, is anybody interested in them, particularly anyone here in New Mexico, trying to fulfill our our local needs first if we can and and we have additional product available, we'll look at addressing those uh, outside of the state. Okay. There's no timeline on this. There's a lot of people who want this to be over yesterday. There's a lot of medical health professionals who are saying this is going to be around for a while. Are you all equipped to continue to operating in the way that you are, say, if this is going on in September? I'm going to optimistically say I, I think we are. Again, we've, we've been trying to logistically stay in touch with our current vendors. And again, as we've researched um, the materials required to make an N95-like respirator, I will say that the combination of filtration and then still being able to breathe through that type of device is a challenge, but I think we're on track. Mm-hmm. And so with those new vendors that we've been introducing ourselves to and trying to get product that they produce that we could turn into an N95-like respirator, 
We're hoping that we can get kind of a stable, maybe five tens, and we'll get used to that. We'll get over this hump. We'll get over the surge. But I think we're going to do okay. Everybody I, I've spoken to today is really kicking into extra gear, voluntary time, sacrificing sleep, sacrificing even time at home to make these materials that are for people at need. And it sounds to me like as soon as you all made the call, your staff immediately jumped into action. No questions asked. Speak to me about how that makes you feel being a representative of the company. It's really tough to kind of put into words. I mean, that's kind of a saying that gets used a lot. But, um, you know, I mean, I, I can speak personally. My family has been completely supportive. And I'm sure our other employees' families have been supportive. There's been discussion of pulling out a cot because I spend much more, many more hours here than I do at my home. Yeah. I think our traditional products that we manufacture they are saving people's lives, and that's our job to make sure that when someone pulls out a Marpac product, you know, they can rely on it, do what it's expected to do. Yeah. So this just kind of steps up just one more level, and fundamentally, as a medical manufacturer from the get-go, we know we've, we've got to do the right thing every time, and uh, and our staff accepts that, and uh, and I think for the most part, we do with a smile on our face. Excellent. Excellent. I want to thank you again for being on the show, and thank you for all the great and very important work that you're doing. Truly appreciate it. Certainly. It's our pleasure, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak, and, and uh, happy to help out here in the community. That's right. We need it, and keep on doing it. He's Dave Mayberry product developer for Marpac, the medical manufacturing company. Thanks again. Thank you. We're going now to a conversation with researchers at the University of New Mexico who are hunting for that thing just about everyone in the world wants right now, a COVID-19 vaccine. KUNM's Megan Kamrick spoke with Professor David Peabody from the Department of Molecular Genetics and Microbiology about what they're doing. I understand there there are a number of efforts to research a vaccine at UNM. Can you give us an overview? We basically employ a platform technology, so we apply it to a lot of different problems with the intent of making a lot of different kinds of vaccines. But specifically with respect to the coronavirus vaccine, I think this is probably the only effort here at UNM. When you say you're using a platform technology, what does that mean? This whole thing is based on viruses of bacteria so-called RNA bacteriophages, particularly one that we use the most is a virus called MS2. And the basic sort of architecture of viruses is similar. It falls into a, a few basic categories across all of biology. But in effect, what we do, we take bits and pieces of the structure of the coronavirus and decorate the outside of our MS2 virus-like particle, this harmless particle, with bits and pieces from the structure of SARS-CoV-2. And so this entirely harmless particle then, in effect, masquerades as a coronavirus in a sense, so that when introduced into an animal or a human, the hope is that it will trick the host into thinking that it's been infected with SARS-CoV-2 and mount response that neutralizes the virus. So it's a platform technology in the sense that we can decorate it with what we call epitopes or as I say, bits and pieces of the structure of other viruses and elicit strong and very long-lasting antibody responses basically to any target that we choose. That's the idea. You're working with Stephen Redfute. So how does what he's doing intersect with what you're doing? How do you work together? So we construct these virus-like particles and then immunize animals with them. We immunize mice as a way of testing whether or not we can provoke an antibody response that neutralizes the virus, in this case, the SARS-CoV-2. And of course, to know for sure that it works, we have to have someone who's actually cultivating that virus who can test the sera that we derive from these mice for the ability to neutralize that 
authentic infection by by the coronavirus itself. Without that kind of a neutralization test, we have no way really of assessing the efficacy of our approach. Are you to the point where you have actually tested in mice? We have some vaccine candidates in mice now for a little over two weeks. How long does it take to gauge whether there is some kind of reaction? I think typically about three weeks after immunization, they reach the peak of the response. And then we harvest serum from the animals and test it for its ability to neutralize the coronavirus itself. I mean, there's the question of controlling this pandemic, right? But there's also the question of dealing with the next one. We think that our platform has the potential to be as rapid a response as is possible. So uh, in favorable cases, our platform may have the capability of generating vaccines as quickly or even more quickly than just about anything else out there. I mean, you have no idea if any of this is going to work, but what does it feel like to at least be working on this? So initially, my feeling was, don't go chasing after this. Lots and lots of people are doing this. But at some point, it just felt like we have to do something. I mean, this is this is what we do. (laughs) You know, part of it maybe is just the sense that wanting to take control of the situation a little bit in this time of such huge uncertainty. This is an excerpt from a longer interview KUNM's Megan Camrick did for Friday's University Showcase. Thanks to that show and to Megan for letting us use the interview. Find the full episode online at KUNM.org. This is Your NM Government. I'm your host, Khalil Kalota. Every weekday, we're covering the way the virus and health measures are impacting people differently around the state. Stay tuned in weeknights at 7.30 p.m. My next guest is from AFRL Maker Hub. I want to welcome Liam O'Brien to the show. Liam, welcome. How's it going? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? You know what? I'm doing okay. So tell me a little bit more about AFRL Maker Hub. Yeah, so the AFRL Maker Hub is a maker space on Kirtland Air Force Base, open to anybody with base access here in Albuquerque. Okay, now, how did you all switch gears in light of the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, so when we get the word that AFRL was going to be working remotely, I knew that there was going to be a high demand for 3D-printed capabilities. Mm-hmm. So I just ended up snagging a bunch of our 3D printers and connecting with a bunch of fellow engineers and prototype people online who have come up with all different types of face shields and PPE equipment. You grabbed all the 3D printers. What are they being used to make? Initially, the first week, we were printing prototype equipment, whether it be face masks, ventilator valves, And then face shields was one of the ones we were testing out. Safe to say there's probably been several hundred variations of face shields. And we just ended up sticking with face shields just because the demand is high. They're quick and easy to make. They're not necessarily medically cleared and they don't need to be so long as they're assembled and cleaned beforehand. All right. Have you had any challenges in operations? If I could go back to the start of this pandemic, I would stock up on resources for 3D printing. So filament for the 3D printers has the prices skyrocketed Mm. if you can find any in stock. And then the clear transparencies that we use for the actual shield itself, they're actually just eight and a half by 11 normal photocopier paper, but they're actually transparent. That now is also being sold out everywhere. So if I'd known a little bit earlier, I would have invested in some of that equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Are you having difficulty? I mean, outside of supply being low, but have resources come up that helps you get some of those? Uh, It's a lot of reaching out to the community and some of the companies out here that, you know, 
we might have some labs here that have bare 3D printing material in stock that they may look to donate or they may have, you know, we looked in several of our offices here for the clear transparencies and we were able to scavenge a couple hundred to get us started. And there was a little bit of research to see if we could find any more available online. Who are you all distributing the materials you make to? So we put a site together. It's nmcovid19.org uh, with New Mexico Tech. There's a bunch of partners involved uh, with New Mexico Tech, AFRL folks in the government offices. We're looking for anybody, whether it be hospital or clinics, that just has a general need. So we're looking for people that are treating patients for COVID-19 or that see patients. We're looking to see how many of those orders we can fulfill. We've gotten quite a few already. Um, and we're just going to see how many we can fill going forward. Excellent. I want to thank you so much for being on the show and thank you for the work that you're doing. He's Liam O'Brien from the AFRL Makers Hub. Thank you so much. Thank you. On the line with me now is Dina Thomas Oasu. She's from Fuse Makerspace. Dina, thanks for being with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So tell me, what did you used to make? We used to have people in here making snowboards and furniture, all different kinds of things but not PPE. (laughs) Yes. And so now you all have converted your operations. Tell me about that. Yes. So right now we've been working with different members. So intubation boxes with Sherry Schreider from the Sanitary Tortilla Factory and the New Mexico Craft Responders was one of the first groups that came in. And we're also working with Alice Schreiber with 505 Access and Tanda Hendrick with Face Shields. And then we're also working with the AFRL Maker Hub to collaborate on collecting 3D printed face shields and then distribute them to different places and healthcare facilities that are identified through the nmcovid19.org website. Okay, so you guys have an entire team kind of mobilizing like the Avengers. You're mobilizing to make sure that everybody gets their materials. Has operations, have they been running smoothly? They have changed a lot since we're only allowing five people in the space at one time. It's really a lot of logistics on planning who can be here and when they can be here. So making sure that we are all working three different stations at once when we're here than just focusing on one thing, really. Okay. And what other challenges are you all having? Finding the materials in town, because obviously there is a grab for a lot of this stuff, so it's hard to get the materials, but we've been able to do it so far. Let me ask you, have you all received confirmation from hospitals and other destinations that you know have donated to that what you're making is working? Yes. So I know that Sherry for sure had received from the hospitals that they had given the intubation boxes for that they were working and that they're great. And nurse from the VA actually reached out last week and asked for more. So that was really cool to see that, you know, it is working and it is helping. Yeah, that's good. Now, is the city or state or the hospitals, are they purchasing these from you all or are you donating them? At this point in time, we are donating them, anything that's coming directly from Fuse. The independent business people, they might be getting some access funds, but it would be more just for the material costs. They aren't actually selling. Excellent. And where can our listeners go to help out with the cause? Every Friday, we are doing 3D printed collections, and that's at Fuse Makerspace, and we're at 101 Broadway, so it's a drop-off at the curbside. You can find the information on our Facebook page or on our Instagram page, and then additionally, you can find us at FuseMakerspace.org. Excellent, excellent. I want to thank you so much for being on the show, and thank you very much for all the work that you were doing. It's really appreciated. You guys have gotten together like heroes. She's Dina Thomas Owasu from Fuse Makerspace. Thanks again. Thank you so much. 
And we'll finish up today with a conversation KUNM's Megan Kamerick had with Susan Matucci from Southwest Creations Collaborative in Albuquerque about shifting gears into making masks and gowns. What kind of work does SCC do? We basically do cut, sew, handwork, and assembly for companies across the country. That keeps 30 people working full-time, and we have another educational part of what we do. Then we were able to expand this program out into APS and the communities surrounding in the county and in Albuquerque, and we now work with an additional 600 families to help them navigate the path to college for first-generation college-attending students. So how have you pivoted the production side in the coronavirus pandemic? For 26 years, Southwest Creations has always been incredibly scrappy and adaptable. The reason we were able to be labeled an essential business, though, is we have a long-time relationship with a company in New Mexico called Clariant, and they make desiccant materials for the shipping and pharmaceutical industries. And we work for them. They're a big part of our business. And because we are essential, and then also because we had a lot of seamstresses who did not work on the Clarion product, but were around and available to do work, we started thinking about how could we make face masks. We were able to work with some companies that I've had a long-term relationship with who were able to get patterns for gowns and masks together and source some materials. But we then were able to figure out how to find some materials that we could use for washable face masks. And at the same time, we were approached by the Bernalillo County Fire Department Chief Greg Perez. So he called me and literally within a week, we were working with them on a prototype for what would work that the firefighters could test and make sure that it was useful and protective. We were able to produce a thousand gowns for them that their first responders are able to use and some masks that have that same protective medical grade fabric. And then now we're making about 4,500 a week of these other protective masks that they are distributing through their emergency services department at Bernalillo County. So what's great is that we have a mask that I feel confident is useful and protective and we're going through one source that we can supply to and then they are distributing it to the Albuquerque firefighters, for example, APS, people that are making food for the families and daycare providers just trying to solve their own problem. The solid waste people in Albuquerque, the transit people. So it feels great to be able to get out, not for everybody, obviously, but at least be able to supply frontline people in a consistent way. And I know it's getting distributed. So it's it's really wonderful. And I, I can't say enough about how great the chief and that department has been to work with. So you've been able to keep most of your employees working. And then some. I mean, we are working six days a week and we're working 10 hours a day. You know, hopefully we, we have a lot of overtime going on and, and we'll see how it all works out at the end. But people are working. We are open. We're practicing all the safety standards from OSHA, taking everybody's temperature every day, also giving every family masks, every person here masks for their family so that we can make sure that our communities stay as healthy as possible. Well, Susan Matucci, thank you so much for speaking with us and for all the work you're doing. 
All right, looking at my Gucci, it's about that time. Time for resources. Find a full list of the resources we talk about on each episode and opportunities to donate or help online at bit.ly slash ynmghub. You can go to nmcovid.org for information on emergency supply sourcing and manufacturing. You want to pitch in with AFRL Maker Hub? Well, head to AFRLMakerHub.com or you can find them on social media. FuseMakerspace.org is a hub for a group of makers such as CNM's Maker Studio. A lot of info there. Head to 5TonMonkey.com to see how you can help in their great efforts. Look up MarpacMedical.com for more info on the medical equipment manufacturers that are based here in Albuquerque. Do you want to help out from home? Well, look up Open Source COVID-19 Medical Supplies New Mexico for more info from craft responders and other local makers about what they need. Plus, there are mask-making tips if you're trying to sew one at home. Your New Mexico government is executive produced by Marisa DeMarco. It's produced by yours truly. News update by Marisa DeMarco. Many thanks to the team at New Mexico PBS and KUMM. Thanks to Megan Cameron for her contributions. Socially distanced high fives to Ty Bannerman for putting in the editing work. The theme music is by Pope Yes Yes Y'all. Hear us all week long on KUNM's airwaves at 7.30 p.m. Online, find the show on KUNM.org or subscribe through iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your New Mexico government is a collaboration between KUNM, New Mexico PBS, and the Santa Fe Reporter. Funding for our coverage is provided in part by the Thornburg Foundation and the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, the New Mexico Local News Fund, and KUNM listeners like you. For everyone here at Your New Mexico Government, I'm Khalil Colonna. Thanks for listening.